Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Brad in L.A. And Spearsy. And today we explore the new Netflix documentary simply titled Wham. I never felt that our music defined me in the same way that it did for George. As a young gay man, I was just uncomfortable because I was closeted. For George, chart position was the ultimate validation. I was forging an identity through my success, and by necessity, I went with full gusto into the progression of Wham. This episode of Stuck in the 80s is sponsored by The 80s Cruise. Join your Stuck in the 80s hosts along with MTV VJs Mark Goodman, Alan Hunter, and downtown Julie Brown in spring 2024 for a week-long trip aboard the Royal Caribbean Mariner of the Seas. Performers will include 38 Special, Air Supply, The English Beat, Soft Cell, Debbie Gibson, Sebastian Bach, Stephen Piercy of Rat, Ray Parker Jr., Sheena Easton, the list goes on, I'll Never Stop Talking, Wang Chung, Midnight Star, and Emotion Real Life Escape Club, Win in Rome, <laughs> I almost said Win in Tommy, Easy. Uh, Win in Two-Tone, and more. Did you know we have a promo code? Of course you do. You listen to the show. Use the promo code STUCK, that's S-T-U-C-K, when booking to get $200 of cabin credit. You must be a first-time cruiser to get the code, and you must use it when booking. Or else. Go to www.the80scruise.com for information. Do it soon, though. The ship is already 98% sold out. With us today, making a grand return to the guest co-host chair, it's... It's... Wait for it. Wait for it. It's Jen with one N. So seriously glad to be here. Hi, Brad. Hi, Steve. Hi, 80s Nation. <laughs> it's been two years. Two years I since know. you've been on the show. Unbelievable. I know. I, I listened to the um the the rerun, the summer rerun of the dance episode, and I that I think that's the last time I was on, right? Oh yeah. And by and and people have been asking a lot about you lately, so we're like, let's get her back on the show. Yeah, I was having a good time making up things that happened. Like, oh, she joined the Peace Corps. I did actually join the Peace Corps. I didn't join the Peace Corps. (laughs) It did not happen at all. Can you still even do that? The Peace Corps? I'm sure it exists. Good. That should be their motto. I'm sure we exist. We still exist. We still exist. Going the distance to make a difference. I like that slogan. That's good. Jen, Jen, what have you been up to since uh, you were last on the show? I have not been in the Peace Corps. Let's just clear that up right now. No, I've been I've been like living life. And so now it turns out, I don't know if you guys remember my my young daughter. My young daughter is now 13 years old. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and so the past couple of years has been middle school, which if you remember, I'll just speak for myself. I did not love middle school. In fact, I it was a very difficult time for a young, young gen with one end. So I have just been like momming it up. You know, sixth grade, seventh grade, um, I have become 
president of the PTO. Oh, impressive. Of course you have. Of course you have. <laughs> but yeah, just like trying to, you know, live life and 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 work and um, volunteer and just just lots of life happening in the last couple of years. But I've missed That's you awesome. guys so much. Well, your daughter, whether she realizes it or not, uh, appreciates the energy that you're putting into that. She appreciates it, and then she rolls her eyes. So well, it's, yeah, all, it's all mean, good. You're going to get both ends of the spectrum. Oh, yeah. That's, sometimes that in the same moment. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's yeah. absolutely. It's great. It's, I love it. I love it. It's almost fitting we talk about middle school today because <laughs> we're going to take a look at a Netflix documentary called Wham! And it's my theory that I bet they were really big with the middle schoolers back in the 80s. I'm here to tell you they were. <laughs> <laughs> So I, so I have to ask, I mean, who here was a fan of the band back then? Obviously, Jen. I was very much a fan of this band. I know that seems strange, but it's true. It's a little outside my normal genre. Yeah. I want to hear more about, like, what, what, why, why Wham! at that time, Brad. Okay. So cast your mind. It's a crisp fall day. Uh, I'm at home watching TV, and this... DJ Richard Blade is running <laughs> videos on his little video show and they show a video for Young Guns. Go for it. Oh. And I was like, what is that? That's amazing. Like, okay, <laughs> look, the song lyrically perhaps a little, pro- yes, it's problematic, let's face it. But it was just something different, right? In the yeah. middle of Western Oklahoma, I was not getting anything like that on the radio, I'll tell you. So I took note of that band, and I'm like, next time I'm in the city, yes, that's what I said, the city, that's what we called Oklahoma City, next time <laughs> I'm in the city, I'm going to Sound Warehouse, and I'm picking that damn cassette up. Nice, I, I love and, it. And I loved it. It just, I would listen to it nonstop, top to bottom, you know, on repeat, flip it over, play it, flip it over, play it. You know, I've talked a little bit about this, on, about other music, like, it felt like something that was mine, like I had found it. I mean, I know that's just ridiculous. Obviously, someone else found it and made a freaking tape of it. So <laughs> it, it, other people knew about it, but it just it felt like something that was mine. Mine, mine, yeah, all mine. That's a strong feeling. Strong feelings that yeah, when that happens, for sure. Yeah, uh, so, so so my wham story was um I had a birthday party and my best friend's very cool older sister Liz gave me fingerless neon gloves and a few 45s and one of the 45s was wake me up before you go go and so I actually (laughs) broke my dad's turntable trying to scratch you know like (laughs) (laughs) like a DJ like scratch wake me up before we go go it didn't work obviously at all i broke the needle i'm sure and i also actually broke the like turntable itself and then my dad mm-hmm. came home and a couple of days later went to play something like, what happened and of course i'm like oh, no <laughs> that's, that's really weird yeah and it never worked again <laughs> and i blame i blame andrew ridgely <laughs> well you know get in yeah. line i, I will I, say that that was I, I followed their their long and illustrious career as wham from that point but i did never own any other recordings okay, these guys have gone on to do something else. And that first album is where all my fandom lands, really. Yeah, and I had Make It Big on tape, which I almost broke because I did I did flip it over quite a bit too. How about you, Steve? I I was not a fan. <laughs> Probably not a surprise to people who, who know my taste in music. My first thing with, with them was the Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go and that kooky video. And I just, it didn't resonate with me. I didn't make any connection. 
Later on, there was a teen nightclub in my neck of the woods called Sky Feathers. And okay. Sky Feathers had a different dance room for every genre. There was like a new wave punk. There was a, a rap room and then there was a pop room. And in the pop room, it seemed like every time I was there, they would play Careless Whisper like every hour on the hour. <laughs> and 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 it could have and they could have played it twice as often and people would have been just as happy. It might have been an instance of being overexposed to them at the time. That and the fact mm-hmm. that I probably wasn't their, you know, target audience. <laughs> I was a you know, mm-hmm. a male with a driver's license. But as the years have passed by and, and we go back and we re-examine the eighties, yes, now I'm starting to appreciate them more. And I and I appreciate them more in the context of George Michael's career, because I, I thought he was fantastic and he was such a loss when he, when he passed away. Uh, seven, it's been seven years now. Gosh, but, yeah. um, now I, I think of Wham as being like the first step in his amazing career. And so I, I take him with a different grain of salt. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think that what you just said, that first step is very much reinforced in this documentary. Yes. Here's what I think is interesting about this. So, I had no expectations. I hadn't read any reviews of it ahead of time. This documentary, it's available on Netflix, so you have to be a subscriber to get it or or have someone's password. I don't know if Netflix is cracking down on that yet, but I know there will be. Uh, it picks up with the the band's very beginning. Like I guess they meet as 12-year-olds in 1975. And it ends, the documentary ends with their final performance at Wembley Stadium. Yeah. So there's no, and then it, it it alludes to the fact that yes, George Michael goes on and does all these amazing things, but there's a whole other documentary about George Michael for that. It, it, it is just the story of Wham, and it's it's a very nice story, and it doesn't have an agonizing into it. There wasn't any acrimonious breakup. It was a it was a brotherhood, not a band, and it just you know it was never meant to grow old. Yeah, talk about the merits of going out on top. Yes. When you have a yeah. sold-out performance at Wembley Stadium. Yeah, mic drop, walk away. Thanks. I'm going to go try driving racing cars now, and George is going to keep writing songs. Cool. Yeah, and maybe I'll marry somebody who sings with Bananarama. Yeah, you know, so. if I can find anybody at the club. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, so. I loved this this documentary. I think it was a lot of fun. It was only 90 minutes, which I love. <laughs> I love the, the framing device of it, which is you hear George Michael's voice, Mm-hmm. Um, from previous interviews, obviously. And then you hear Andrew Ridgely from, it's, I think, more current interviews. So you hear the, their story from their voices. What got a little hard for me was sometimes I couldn't distinguish the two, and I kind of wish they had helped us out a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Like There are times I'm like, wait, who's talking? Right, exactly. And I, so I wish they had done, even just putting the name up at the time, like whatever. But one, one framing device I really appreciated was, so Andrew Ridgely's mom, from the jump, was making scrapbooks of their career. I mean, there were like more than 30 scrapbooks, I think, of just, yes. e- even from the very, yes. very beginning of their like photos as kids, like playing in the pool or whatever. And I was like, what a great mom, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, look how great moms can be. So that was kind of, that was kind of funny, but it was a neat way to, to, um, to present the, the story. I thought. Yeah. Katie made that same observation and I hadn't really picked it up the same way, but it just, she said, you know, you can tell how much Andrew Ridgely's family was behind this, like clearly supporting it. You know, the, the clips that they have of, of George's dad, who's like, yeah, I wasn't really, really buying it until there's a point at which he's like, 
then I saw him perform and I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Well, he saw him perform and then he saw the thousands and thousands of people that were going nuts for them. Right. And then he's like, yeah, that's when I turned the <laughs> turned that, that's, that's the corner. I, I, I flipped the, yeah, flipped the switch. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the scrapbooks are amazing. I'd love to see more of the scrapbooks, honestly. <laughs> Like, if we stop by the Ridgelys for tea, will she pull them out, do you think? <laughs> probably. She probably would. She's probably waiting so. for people to stop by for tea, actually. I, I think another thing that they did really nicely is they really f- answered the question about what is it that Andrew Ridgely did for Wham? Yeah. Like, what what was his role in the band? And, and, and very the early, answer is everything. Very early on, he was a co-writer. And then as time went on, I think he, he they, they keep reinforcing the point that he was the one in charge of making sure everyone had fun. And he had the job of being George's best friend, you know, the one who kind of kept him, you know, on track, you know, and, and who was his confidant with his biggest yeah, secret and to carried date. his deepest secrets, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and in the beginning too, he was like responsible kind of for their look, right? Because he was sort of the the cool one, the fun one. And then George kind of learned from Andrew how to kind of be that more extroverted person. Cause he, from the, he was saying from the beginning, he felt very awkward. He had glasses. He was kind of chubby. So I kind of love that origin story for George Michael, right? Like he was kind of the quiet one. Um, and Andrew helped to, to bring him out of his shell. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's, it's a little facile to say that, uh, you know, perhaps this is Andrew Ridgely rehabilitating his own image a little bit because George isn't here to really talk about it. But you hear him, you hear him talking about it in those recordings that he wanted to be Andrew. I think there's a, a moment where they say Wham is is two people: the real Andrew and the fake Andrew. Right, right. The one and, who's sort uh, of imitating. <laughs> yeah, and when you think about it that way. Andrew Ridgely got so much crap in the 80s. Like, what does he even do? Uh, yeah. World's luckiest best friend. Uh, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> cash a checks, Andrew. Just cash a checks. But no Andrew, no Wham, no Wham, no George Michael, no Faith, no Listen Without Prejudice, none of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I get it. I 100% agree. It's it's interesting, too, as, some, as a group of people such as we are that love trivia – you get a handful of it throughout this. You get to, to find out what their name was before it was Wham. It was the executive, <laughs> which is an awful. We'll put name. that up there with American Express on a double bill. Yeah, um, you, you get to you you get to hear Andrew call Michael Yog all the time instead of Michael, and probably most uh, relevant to to stuck in the eighties and recent shows. Anyway, you learn that uh, last Christmas peaked at number two. Close but no cigar, kept mm-hmm. out by Do They Know It's Christmas, which of course also features George Michael on it. So he kept himself out of the top spot. And they talk about that, you know, how how he was like, wait a minute, what what just happened here? <laughs> well, again, like he's pretty honest, I think, in these interviews, George Michael is, because he's saying, like, it was my ego, you know, like obviously mm-hmm. um I, I wanted band-aid to do extremely well because of the, where the money was going and he's like but it was my ego i wanted that fourth number one in the year you know and what one thing i learned from this was how really driven he was i had no idea yeah. how much ambition he actually did have andrew originally seemed fine with what was happening and then when it was over i mean he's like okay well you know we'll check in later have a good time at the recording studio george he definitely seems, to your point, much more driven than Andrew was. Andrew was the one, like you say, Steve, he was here to make sure everyone was having a good time. He was carrying some of the 
some of the stuff behind the scenes that people don't see or don't know about. But, uh, you know, George, who knew? Like, he wanted it, and he wanted it now. Yeah. Well, one thing I have to say is the, um, and they say the word exuberance like 50 million times during this <laughs> documentary. That's a drinking game. And, and the, whole, the whole point of Wham! is, as they describe it, is that it's fun. It's fun. Like it was a, this period of time when like a little bit post-punk and everybody's living in, you know, Margaret Thatcher's England and people are unemployed and they came in and their strategy. I mean, I don't know if they would have even called it a strategy, but they came in with like a little rap, a little disco, a little pop. And they're like, we're just going to be the fun band. And so they put an exclamation point in their name. You know what I mean? Like that's how fun they were is that they put an exclamation point in their name, which I thought, always thought was really funny. It's good times. They talk about that success, though. I mean, the success you talk about in their formula that, hey, we're going to, this is a band that's here to have fun. Our, our lyrics are fun. Our, our melodies are fun. I think you get that point from George at some point that he gets, he gets a little frustrated with the formula. And that more than anything pushes him along eventually to, to needing to leave and do his own thing and, and finally break the formula and, and start writing music for, a slightly more sophisticated and older audience. Yeah, he seemed to chafe at the, you guys are just bubblegum, good-looking guys bopping around. It's like, no, you know, listen a little closer. Let me, right. let me write some more stuff here. The, the thing that I thought was really, that I really enjoyed that I had no idea about was the, um, they talk about the original recording of Careless Whisper mm. with this just famous doesn't cover it, uh, recording studio, the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio in Alabama. And, you know, George is talking about, you know, I'm standing there getting to record and the guy running the studio is like, that's where Aretha Franklin sang Respect, where you're standing right now. <laughs> oh my gosh, no pressure, dude. Then he brings, they play a little bit of the tape and it's just, it's flat. Mm-hmm. It's just There's just no there there. And George Michael had enough of a vision, knew what he wanted. It's like, nope, that's not how it's going to go. I'm going to redo this whole thing. Yeah, they they went through a bunch of um, sax players even to like get just the right sax player. So you kind of, you know, when you listen to it, you sort of dismiss, you know, especially looking back on it, the quote cheesy 80 sax, but like it is a sp- very specific style and sound. And George Michael fired seven or eight, whatever it was, sax players before he got to that one. Who, who yeah. Cashed. He knew yeah. what he wanted and, yeah. and he wasn't afraid to like, well, you know, you may have recorded Aretha Franklin, but this sucks. <laughs> He may not have said it quite like that. Right, right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Can I take the master's? Great. Okay. Yeah, totally. So I just wanted to mention that the director of this movie is Chris Smith. And I was curious. I'm like, that sounds so familiar. So I looked it up. He's done a lot of really cool, cool documentaries. So he did the fire, F-Y-R-E, the fire (sighs) festival. that was fun. He did Jim and Andy. He did, I think he might have, I don't know if he did the Tiger King. I'll have to do some more research, but he did do um, American movie, which came out in 1999. Have you ever seen that? It's, it's very good. It's, it's about, and this is not eighties related at all, but it's about this couple of, of uh, indie filmmakers who make a horror movie called coven. And it's just very good. So I, I just wanted to say that I I was, I thought the documentary was well put together. So I was kind of curious about the director. I think one of the takeaways too, at the end of this Documentaries. It kind of gives you a new soundtrack for the rest of the summer. Mm. I think these are songs that a lot of us haven't heard in a while. There's probably even a couple of songs. Uh, Club Tropicana, I don't think I'd ever heard before. 
<gasps> Steve. Stuff like that. There, there was just <laughs> so good. <laughs> so it creates this whole new summer soundtrack. You know, the perfect time for this type of music to resurface in your life. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious. Does, does everyone carry around with them a, a favorite song from Wham? Jen, what, what, would, what would yours be? Well, it's funny because as I was watching the documentary and song and they would play songs, I was knowing the words to a lot of them and not even thinking about, you know what I mean? How that happens. Your brain like keeps that 80s lyric list alive. But as I was listening, I thought, okay, Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go is, and I won't spoil everything like, you know, because there's a lot of fun little tidbits in the movie, but Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, um, the, the way they entitled it was really fun. I won't, yes. I'll say no more. But um, But that song is just kind of to me a perfect pop song and it just will remain it was when i was in middle school and it is now that my daughter is in middle school she loves it too you know what i mean I, so i won't say that one though it seems like the obvious thing to say but i love everything she wants off of make it big somebody told me got that sound of like it almost sounds sultry it almost it's like poppy but also has this like rhythm that almost feels like a um like a terence trent darby or a little bit more soulful i don't know so that's what i would say is um is everything she wants and i do welcome me back guys have an honorable mention (laughs) 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 but i I say this because i i have a little fun fact about it that you probably will recognize but young guns go for it so yes brad problematic rap terrible but it's the first couple of bars that you hear in 16 candles when you see the um the car oh right pulling out for the and it's dun 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 hey sucker that one and that's that. Yes. That's a Wham song, and I think a lot of people either didn't realize it or, or forgot. Didn't so realize just, it. Yep. Wow, Brad. What about you? That's a fun fact. First, let me just lead with same honorable mention. I already told the story of why because that was the first Wham song I ever heard, and just like whoa, it just grabbed me by the collars. Like get in here, get in here, kid. I got something <laughs> for you. But the song I would pick again off of Fantastic, their first album, is Love Machine. just a great cover it's a cover of the 1975 miracles song actually number one hit for them i did not you know 16 year old brad didn't know this was a cover he just liked it <laughs> um, but again it's got that funk to it that r&b kind of soul to it the lyric is just oh, it's great i'm gonna go with since everyone else has an honorable mention i will too i'll say edge of heaven will be my honorable oh, mention yeah. yeah and then and then the i'm your man is my favorite you better, if you're gonna do it, do it right, right. Do it, 
I'll tell you why, too. Is so good. I, I was just watching a, a couple months ago an old clip of James Corden doing uh, carpool karaoke, and he had George Michael in his car, and it was for – it was from 2011 from the Red Nose Day in Britain, mm. the comic relief. And the very first song they they sing that cheers up George is I'm Your Man. Aww. So, really cute. Cute song. And it just it, it drills into your head. And I'm, yep. now I'm here to stay. Well, you just said the title and I could hear it, you know? Yeah, I, my brain went right to the chorus. Yep. Yeah. Do it with me. But Steve, you know what? I'd like to do with you right now. <laughs> the the Seggies. Hey, it's time for Spin Me Round and Round. Hey, this is our brand new Seggy. Well, not brand new. What? Two months old? Not two years Relatively old like new. the last Very time John was on the show. <laughs> Jen, are you following? Do you ever follow the Seggies? Do you, do you know about this Seggy? Uh, do I? This is the TV one. Nope, nope. This is one where we play a bit of a song backwards. If you get oh, it right. Yes, I, I did get one right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, you- if you get it right, Jen, what are you entered into for? Um. A postal-friendly bottle opener? Yes. See, you haven't <laughs> lost your, your, your touch. Phew. Um, anyway, back from our infamous episode 666, uh, here was the clue. That's Hell's Bells from ACDC. Should have been an easy one to guess. It's right on topic. The only hell song we didn't use. <laughs> oh, oh, Brad, looks like you get a list to read. I do, I, and it's. I will say, let me before I read these these winners. Let me just say, each and every one of you who got this right, I am in awe because my brain <laughs> cannot do this. Yeah, I, I didn't get this one. <laughs> I, I can't. I, I can't turn it right round like a record baby. <laughs> mm. I always say when people complain about the trivia questions, I say everyone has blind spots. Apparently, my ears have a huge backwards blind spot. It's It's okay. The only reason I knew it was because I was the one who told uh, Chuck Coverley this is the song to use because he's the one who made it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This is his idea. Nothing but respect to each and every one of you. However, only one of you will be lucky enough to win the Postal Friendly Bottle Opener. That said, winners this week include Cincinnati Joe, Max Headlong, Scott McMillan, Mary Beth in Madison, Ohio, Kevin Serving Wench, Donnie Gettle Rhymes with Orange, Jason in Memphis, <laughs> Todd in Minnesota, Dave Parrott, who does not want a cracker but is definitely tired of that joke, Jeff in Chester, <laughs> Kelly E in Huntsville, Alabama, Chris in Huntsville, hmm, coincidence? I think not, Keano from Midmo, Brian with an E in Boulder, Alan B, Jay Swash in Beaver Creek. I'm going to bitcher this one. Here we go. Sorry in advance. Dirk Van Verwerf in the not-so-famous <laughs> London, Ontario, Canada. Corey Coffin in Cambridge, Ontario, Canada. Jeremy, who shot J.R. Rodwin? Not just another Michael Hayes. Jerry Metal Guy. Dave? Dave's not here. Todd Ritchie Cunningham, who is also not tired of that joke at all. Stephen Ventura and Peter Ryan. I want to know the story behind the Brian with an E. Why is there an E in 7A? Because uh, mom and dad wanted to make sure he had to spell his name out loud every time he went into a new classroom. That, or they just didn't ever want to buy him the souvenir license plate at Disney World. 
because his name <laughs> would be misspelled. Also popular. So that, that was my problem because I'm Stephen with a PH instead of a V. So, mm. yeah, that's how I I'm feel about it too. You Steph Spears. Yeah, I got a lot of that growing up. Trust me. Not tired of that joke at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Jen, you spin the wheel. Let's find out who the winner is. Okay, I've also been working out. So, all right. That was it? <laughs> I'm so strong, it doesn't take much. <laughs> uh, looks like it's going to land on Alan B. You are this week's winner. So email us your snail mail address. This is the part where I traditionally ask Brad, hey, Brad, you still got any of those left? And Brad says, well, I've got some. I'm trying to get them out. So now that I've just kind of summarized that, we can move right along. Perfect. <laughs> Pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clue. If you know it, email us at podcast at sat80s.com. I think I say that so fast now that I don't even know what I'm saying or if I'm saying it correctly. Just coming off the tape. That was good. (laughs) Perfect. And tune in a few weeks to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. I can't wait to see. And we're back. We've got just a few minutes left. It's time to play our old favorite game. What's your 80s obsession? Jen, what's your 80s obsession? So my 80s obsession is a podcast called You Must Remember This. And each year, the host and producer Karina Longworth. She does like um, a series uh, based on like, I don't know, old Humphrey Bogart movies or whatever. And and I hadn't listened to this podcast until last year when she did Erotic 80s. And it Mm. is, you guys, this podcast is so good. It's such good content. So there's, you would think there would be 10 episodes because there's 10 years in a decade, but she actually sort of sets it up with talking about like um you know how the x rating came to be and the production code in the like late 70s and then she talks about 1979 Bo Derek and 10 and then she goes so like providing lots of really good context and then she goes into 1980 Richard Gere and American Gigolo and on and on you get all kinds of great movies body heat um, she talks about like teen sex exploitation movies too, like Porky's, uh, and then talks about like how MTV gets into the mix. But it is such a rich, rich um, podcast series. You got to check it out. Um, there's actually this year she did Erotic 90s, which in my humble opinion, don't get mad at me, but is the the decade for erotic thrillers, but only... <laughs> Only because there was a body heat and a fatal attraction could there be, you know, Poison Ivy and all the stuff that came afterwards. Oh, gosh. Poison Ivy. I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. No, yeah, you're kidding. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, she talks about Thelma and Louise and all that stuff. But start with the 80s because that's – there's for this audience who's listening to this, you will love all the fun stuff that you learn from this. So it's called You Must Remember This. And the series is Erotic 8. That's how she says it. Erotic 80s. <laughs> Now I just want to listen to it just to hear her do that. <laughs> Brad, what's your 80s obsession? Um, forgive me. 
I do not have an 80s obsession. I currently have a 70s obsession. About three weeks ago, I bought a 1971 BMW 2002, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about that car and things I need to do to it to make it more drivable. Jeez, how many things do you need to do to it? Is it not drivable <laughs> not now? Just little things, but stuff that, like, okay, okay this weekend, because you asked, this weekend I replaced all the turn signal and brake light bulbs with LED bulbs so they're brighter, which oh. makes it safer. Huh. I need Didn't. to upgrade the headlights. I just, you know, this, the headlights from the 70s, it's like, like Fred Flintstone era, you know, <laughs> turtle with a candle out there. It does nothing. Wow. I had no so, idea. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I bought another classic car, basically. Uh, Brad, I have an important question for you. Mm-hmm. Vanity license plate? No, but <laughs> since you asked, they do a thing in California called your manufacturer. So I can get the correct blue and gold license plates for the car. Ooh, that's cool. So I found, a, you, you have to find a pair that are still in good shape. And then you take them to the DMV. And if they're for the right year, you can get them registered for your car. So I have the oh, plates neat. now. I found some on eBay. And now I just have to go down to the DMV, which I have to you know, build up my courage for. But Yeah. Do you have to have yeah. a plate on the front in California too? You're supposed to. Okay. Mine is kind of weird. It's it's it, Jen kind of reminded me of it when she was talking about erotic 80s. I've been kind of re-exploring some of the movies from the very, very early 80s. So I did just watch American Gigolo. Very oh, cool. hard to watch, <laughs> but, yeah. but interesting. Um, I just yesterday I watched the final countdown, you know, with Martin Sheen. With oh Eric. my gosh. <laughs> it's so I'm trying to find a copy. I don't think it was, I don't know if it was eighties or late seventies. I want to find a copy of the black hole, Disney's black hole and watch that again. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I've narrowed my wheelhouse to the very late seventies and early eighties and trying to rediscover those movies. And a lot of times you can find them for free on YouTube. So other times, weirdly enough, Final Countdown's on HBO right now. So is American Gigolo. Go figure. Huh, weird. Yeah. That is weird. Anyway, we hope you enjoy the Netflix documentary, Wham. Don't know how long it's going to be there, but definitely worth your time, especially as Jen said, only 90 minutes long, and it will give you the perfect soundtrack for summer. In the meantime, Jen, welcome back. Thank you. It's been so fun. <laughs> I promise it won't be two years again. <laughs> uh, but in the meantime, Brad and I and Jen remain here, hopelessly. Stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music, and thanks for listening. <laughs>